Welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar. It's been quite some time, ladies and gentlemen. We have been incredibly busy, and we'll let you know what we've been doing, actually. So let me hand it off to the Reese Incarnate. Reese, how's it going, man? Dude, it's uh, it's good to be back in the booth. It's been a long, long time, it feels like, even though I think it's only been what maybe two weeks since we were able to do an episode together yeah well almost three because if you like count this week it's been three but oh, yeah, yeah we took last week off the week before that mm-hmm. i did the instant reaction to the draft and yeah. then yeah i guess it was like three weeks ago yeah uh what have you been up to what 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 big things in your life have happened <laughs> sir <laughs> reese incarnate yeah, the, the big thing is more a, a small little thing that's why i'm keeping my voice down right now even though i'm two rooms <laughs> away uh so oh uh, dude you're gonna be doing a asmr for like the next year then dude i'll be doing dog asmr it's gonna be so great i'll just be like <laughs> bow wow i'm the mailman anyway uh so <laughs> noel and i adopted a uh well didn't adopt yeah we adopted a uh, australian shepherd puppy a few weeks ago from this wonderful family that runs a farm just like out in the middle of nowhere kansas and his name is bowie he is now 10 and a half weeks old, and we love him to death. The only thing is, you know, he's he's still getting on his crate schedule and a sleep schedule and, and all that jazz, so I have to be very quiet so I don't wake him up, because if I wake him up, he's going to want to play, and he's going to want to come out and all that stuff, so it's kind of like, you know, it's like that game, Don't Wake Daddy. Remember that? I, I, I don't, but uh, don't, don't wake, wake puppy. wake daddy. Or else then mommy's going to be very upset with you. No, dude, mommy, mommy's going to come and... She's going to throw my microphone out the window, but yeah, so that's what I'm like. I'll be solo potting for the next year. (laughs) Yeah. Or you'll have me on like my iPod headphones. Those be like podcast (laughs) (laughs) 1.0. Yeah. So, so so what's, so what's the craziest thing about puppy training? Cause this is your, you had a puppy when you were a kid, right? So you've done puppy training before or is this new? Well, so here's the thing is that, uh, so I, I got Charlie who was a wired Fox terrier. We got him when he was probably 14 or 15 months old so like while he was still like oh he's still a new puppy it's like no you know he, he's he was a young dog at that point like he already had a personality he was potty trained and as rambunctious and energetic as he was for like a 15 month old fox terrier you know it's like it's a completely different ball game to what my wife and i are going through right now because there are so many things with puppies that like nobody really tells you about when it's when it comes to getting a puppy like for example uh because he's not yet he's two months technically he's in the two month window and they say for puppies you can give them this long of time between bathroom breaks it's the amount of months plus one so he's two months plus one he can go three hours between oh, i didn't know breaks. that equate where did you find that equation it's, it's that's one of the things it's all over the internet one like you dig you know like when do i have to let my puppy out and like oh this is like basic but Nobody told me this. My younger sister out in North Carolina got an eight-week-old puppy like three years ago, but she didn't tell me this. I'm not faulting anyone, but I'm just saying like, so for example, the reason I'm whispering right now is because we're setting a hard 9 p.m. bedtime for him. And because he has that like three-hour bladder capacity, I have to go and wake him up at midnight. And then I have to wake him up again at 3 a.m. And then finally, you know, I'll wake him up at 6 a.m. We're just kind of like up for the day. So it's kind of like, those are the sort of puppy things that people don't tell you about when it comes to getting a puppy when you have a, a year a year and a half old dog like charlie was he's potty trained he has bladder control of like technically i think 13 hours at that point you know i mean don't don't test it wow. but 
you know, it's it's a it's it's a, a big difference, and he's he's got boundless energy, which is great, but he's full of love, and I mean, he, he's wicked smart too. That's like the scary thing. He's like the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park. It's like you can't let him you can't let him watch you do something you don't want him to know about, otherwise he gets it like the first time, just immediately. Jeez, that's pretty crazy. You have a you have a wishbone on your hands, basically, basically. So. Yeah, we haven't we haven't given him any human food yet because we don't want him to start begging. Uh, but he's he's starting to discover the fridge and the fact that the fridge is cool and the fridge smells good. So we got to keep him <laughs> away from that stuff. Nice man. Well, we look forward to your to your puppy journey. I can I can already see your uh, gray hairs oh. popping out. I see the bags under your eyes, man. That 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 the puppy's getting me. Oh yeah, dude. I look, I look like absolute dog crap. Just quite literally. <laughs> No, literally, there's there's actually dog crap on your shoulder, dude. I think we're gonna have to break, dude. Yeah, I I, I, I gotta go. This podcast over. <laughs> well, while Reese does that, I am in the um, um, I was I, I was trying to make an adjective and I can't make one. Sorry, I just finished the show right now. But uh, I'm in New Hampshire. Nice. <laughs> uh, I'm in New Hampshire. I just finished up a round of Cinderellas in um, upstate New York, and I drove two and a half hours to no, way more than that. Sorry, like four hours to. Shh. New Hampshire, and now I'm here in New Hampshire about to do some more Cinderelling with a different company. And then after that, I go to Connecticut and do some more Cinderelling with another company, but the same production. So I've done like two side-by-side co-productions that are different. So technically, I've just done two Cinderellas, but they've been with four different companies. Dude. Um, but it's been great, man. Really, uh, I've never been to New Hampshire before. It's beautiful here. I'm staying with some lovely hosts that live in a... Um, um, uh, late 18th 18th century home actually that they've they've renovated and it's really really beautiful out here um tomorrow i have the day off and i'm feeling a little tired today so i don't know if i'm gonna make the trek anymore but i already told reese if i feel good i'm gonna make the trek out um just under an hour away is treehouse brewing which actually why don't we save for the uh, for the for the beer section of this podcast so stay tuned ladies cool. and gentlemen cool. oh yeah you know what you you love beer you love podcast you love our podcast and Kansas City podcast Reese if they love this podcast so much how can they donate to our podcast and how can they say hello to us on social media dude find us on social media Facebook and Instagram at Fountain City SM. since we have a new family member in Fountain City sports media with Bowie you know puppy chow well actually puppy chow is a human food um you know dog food (laughs) yeah actually dogs shouldn't have that but dog food is expensive ladies and gentlemen so not only do we have to pay the bills for this podcast but now reese has additional bills he has to pay he has to go on chewy.com so he can make sure and get all those great things that are delivered right to your door no they don't sponsor us but we love chewy so now we're we we're gonna really need these donations to roll in so reese tell them where they can give us some donations so you can be sitting pretty on that chewy.com Oh man, uh, sponsor our Chewy wish list. Dude, at, we uh, we love Chewy at our house. Yeah, no, uh, patreon.com backslash FCSM. You can get, that's sorry, that's FCSM. Uh, you can get access to outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Uh, just one more thing. I know you mentioned Puppy Chow. That is a real thing for anybody here who doesn't know who Puppy Chow is. If you call it Muddy Buddies, you can just get the hell out of this podcast right now. We, we don't want you anymore. No Muddy Buddies. I've never heard that it's called Muddy, like M-U-D-D-Y. Yep. It's like 
that's why would they why is that a thing that sounds disgusting it's oh my gosh i can't remember like what part of the country calls it that it's either minnesota or it's like the southeast calls it muddy buddies yeah no it's it's puppy chow anywhere else you're wrong period <laughs> okay well go on our twitter account at uh found city sports media at, at fcsm and you can um you can uh, vote whether it's called muddy putties muddy buddies, muddy buddies. yeah muddy buddies <laughs> Actually, Muddy Putty sounds gross. Yeah, it and, is. Or is it Puppy Chow? I've actually never heard the the latter, but I guess you have, so I guess it's a thing. It's, it's, I think uh, Chex Mix technically makes Muddy Buddy branded Puppy Chow. Let me look this up. <laughs> Muddy Buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, while he looks it up, um, again, you can... You can um, subscribe on social media, <laughs> like us on Instagram. Oh, no. All right. What did what'd you find? <laughs> So, if you Google Muddy Buddies, the first thing that comes up is Puppy Chow, because obviously it's Puppy Chow. But Puppy Chow, also typically known as Monkey Munch, <laughs> that sounds like some sort of drug you do. Monkey Munch, Muddy Munch, Reindeer Chow, or Doggy Bag is a name for a homemade candy made in the United States. And there you have it. But 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 that but this is just like a Google search. This is not the actual brand, correct? Uh, if you, uh, this isn't like you're not on Amazon.com and it doesn't say like muddy muddy buddy sponsored by. No, Chex Mix has decided to rope themselves onto the muddy buddy name. Uh, my guess is because Puppy Chow probably gets confused with actual Puppy Chow in places that aren't smart enough to call it Puppy Chow. Yeah, because that's a ton of chocolate, right? And then can die. Yeah, dude. Come on. For for real. Yeah. No, that's that's why. Yeah, Puppy Chow's the what it's under on Wikipedia, therefore it's Puppy Chow, the end. I'm pretty hungry for some puppy chow, not gonna lie. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. And we uh you know, let's just let's settle in, baby. So we got so we've talked about the dog, we've talked about I'm in New Hampshire, we've talked about social media and Patreon. Again, just two dollars a month. Um, it's nothing, right? You spend way more on your crypto, which is crashing right now, but the stonks are high with Found City Sports Media. We promise that that $2, we're going to turn that into 4 to 6 to 10 to 12 to $20 because we're going to have so many sponsorships from Chewy, from Muddy Buddy, or Muddy Putty, or whatever it's called, and Puppy Chow. And with that, Reese, let's get into this episode. Let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you all heard the episode a couple of weeks ago where I did an instant reaction to the the first round um, and now recently I've kind of gotten into detail we've we've sat with the decisions that the Kansas City Chiefs have made um, I will remind you of some of the visceral reactions that I had to some of the things that happened in that first round with the Kansas City Chiefs and then we can kind of talk about it now that we are two weeks removed we've already had mini camp um, so let's let's break it down Reese I'm just going to uh, pass it back and forth I want your reaction to each pick um then sorry i want your instant reaction to what you thought then and what you think now and how they fit on this team so we're not going to go through every pick let's kind of go through the hot picks and there's actually a lot of hot picks that we made uh really proud of this draft and then after we have analyzed the ones that we want to then we're going to give an overall grade we can give grade by grade too so the very first pick reese the kansas city chiefs traded the 29th pick and the 94th pick and 121st pick. So that's a first round, a third rounder, and a fourth rounder for the 21st 
pick with the New England Patriots. And we get Trent McDuffie, cornerback from Washington. He's 5'11", 193 pounds. Reese, what was your instant reaction when we traded up to get a cornerback? You know, when we traded up initially and I saw that we were moving, my first thought was because there was such an early run on the wide receiver class that we thought might be a possibility. I'm like, okay, about five wide receivers are gone. I'm like, the one they want is still there, but they know they have to move now to get him. So when it was announced that we picked up McDuffie, I think I texted a few people and I was just like, what the heck did Brett Veach just blow this? Because if you remember going into this draft, I think even talking with Sam, it's like, cornerback or secondary wasn't on our list of like the needs. The needs was a two pronged thing. We needed a defensive end. We needed a wide receiver to replace Tyree kill and be on contract going into the future. So we have Trent McDuffie cornerback out of Washington as our first pick that we filled for. I'm just like, what the heck is going on? But that's why you kind of got to look at the whole story before you start making assumptions. If you are reading a Harry Potter book and you open up the first chapter of the book and there's this baby on a doorstep with a lightning scar, it's like, I don't want to read a book about some baby with a flesh wound. And then you realize at the end, it's like, oh no, that ties into like 10 other things. That's what the McDuffie pick is for me. McDuffie is, he's very small for a cornerback. Generally speaking, he's what, about 5'11", a buck 95 or something like that. But he's very talented. He's incredibly skilled. He's fantastic with his hips. And it's funny that I have a herding dog now because I've seen it described as he is really good at herding the wide receivers into where he wants to go. He's also a ball hawk. He's got a knack for getting underneath routes, being the first guy over there to help when someone gets a reception or gets blown. But the thing is, he's not just a ball hawk looking for INTs. He's instinctual. He's got fantastic fundamentals. He's everything you could want in a cornerback. Yeah, give or take about three inches. Everything you could want in a cornerback. So in hindsight, I am very happy with the Trent McDuffie pick. We really zigged when a lot of other teams were zagging. So hats off. Yeah, I think um, to kind of summarize what I said on the podcast a couple weeks ago, I was pissed when we got Trent McDuffie, not because of Trent McDuffie. I really like Trent McDuffie. On my big board, he was the third cornerback. Like You had your stars in Stingley, and you had your stars in Amazas Gardner, um, and then it dropped off a little bit. So no, he wasn't a star, but it was like this dude can definitely be a pro bowler at some point in his career. So I'm happy with the pick. It's just that Jermaine Johnson was still there at 21, right? And Jermaine, I think, fell maybe a couple spots um, after that. I think he went 23rd or 24th. And that was a definite position of need. I mean, imagine having, Reese, imagine having Jermaine Johnson, who in a very talented um, edge rushing class of 2022, he was one of the elite ones. I mean, people were saying that he was pretty close to um, Trayvon Walker, right, who went number one overall. So you had Trayvon, you had um, Aiden Hutchinson, and then you kind of had this mix between people thought that uh, Jermaine Johnson was better than Kalen Thibodeau because Thibodeau hadn't been playing the position for for that much and all of Jermaine Johnson's film was amazing like he was bulldozing everyone elite talent regular talent and that was something that I was so excited for so when I saw that we moved up and that Jermaine was still there I was like this is a no-brainer we're gonna get Jermaine Johnson unfortunately that was not the case so um 
three weeks later, I'm not as pissed, but I'm still kind of upset, especially if he has a breakout year. I forgot who he ended up going with. I think he ended up going with the Jets. Um, and Jets got Jets got a Monsauce Gardner, Jermaine Johnson, and like Garrett Wilson. I mean, amazing draft for the Jets, like I said on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, but anyway, so if Jermaine Johnson has a clearly better rookie year than Trent McDuffie, then I'll say that, that I'm I'll be very upset. Um, but for now, fine. Let's let's wait and see what happens. So so Trent McDuffie, the biggest thing that that jumps out about Trent is that this dude is feisty. This dude is athletic and this dude is wanting to hurt people. And this is going to be a common trend of the 22 draft, 2022 draft class that Brett Veach picked. I mean, these guys are really like Veach is really assembling this like um, lack of a better term, but this like assassin core on defense where they want to hit you because one of the big weaknesses that we had last year, Reese, that we talked about like game after game after game is we can't, we were always missing tackles. Even like people like Legarius Sneed, even people like like um, Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew, sometimes it was a business decision for him. So we got young talent who don't have time to think about business decision. And Trent McDuffie's one of those guys. So not only does he hit hard, but like you said, he's incredibly smart. And he can move across the field. He can play in press. He can play in zone. He can play man. There isn't like one specialty that he had at Washington. Washington, obviously, really good at then making cornerbacks. Um, I know we don't love Marcus Peters, but I mean, Marcus Peters had the exact same cornerback and in college, he was incredibly impressive. So they, they're always cranking out great cornerbacks. So, you know, he comes from a good pedigree, you know, he's intelligent, you know, he hits hard, um, to your point that this was not a position of need. Yeah. I would have been fine with Snead being corner one. Rashad Fenton, who had a, I think had a breakout year last year, be corner two. Um, but Veach kind of said this a couple days ago after training camp. He was like, a lot of the picks that we had, not necessarily because they were a position of need, but because we've found out that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon to get to the end, to get to the Super Bowl and having depth in those positions, especially in secondary is how you make a Super Bowl. It's not necessarily that you have the best players in the field, but it's how deep can you go when someone gets injured? So when he said that, I was like, yeah, I mean, Veach has been in the in the playoffs and almost a Super Bowl for the past four years. So I totally get the I totally get the decision. I'm going to give the decision because of the the Jermaine Johnson almost being there. I'm giving it a B plus. What do you give it, Reese? Uh, I'm going to give it a a sorry an A minus. Uh, just built off a little bit of extra credit. The extra credit being, I've been seeing on multiple different uh, multiple different outlets that part of the reason why they moved up to get McDuffie, even though it may have been like a touch overspending, like they probably could have kept one of those picks they traded up, is the fact that uh, McDuffie was the top defensive back choice for the Buffalo Bills who were picking before us. So we had to jump Buffalo to get the guy they wanted that we also wanted. And you see it a couple picks later when they take Kyir Elam, who is not as good as McDuffie. I mean, I mean, at least on paper. No one's played yet, but like on paper, like McDuffie was like a day one starter. And Elam is like he will rotate in and might be like a starter by the end of the year sort of thing. So if there was one guy that we wanted to get as our starting cornerback to replace Travarius Ward and to shore up that secondary for years to come, 
I think it's an A minus considering all the things they went into there, as well as what we wound up getting at the end of the first round. Like I said, we got got to see the entire story here before we can start making judgments. <laughs> all right, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, my my overall grade will be definitely depending on all these things. Good segue though, Reese, because with the thirtieth pick, um, the Chiefs uh get fallen to them i should i could have said that better but sorry george karloftis falls to the chiefs at the 30th pick um defensive end from purdue one second let me read some of his um his specs let's see he's 6'4 266 pounds with 11 and a half sacks last year so reese instant reaction and then your um non-prisoner of the moment reaction now so my instant reaction is just gonna be i told you so because i think i was talking with you and sam about this so i said hey do we not like Karloff? this is the pick and sam's like i don't think you you'll did be there say that, that. this wasn't even our earlier pick we'd have to trade up we, i mean a lot of people thought Karloff is said potentially be a top 10 pick so the fact he was there at 30 i'm not gonna be like oh i knew he'd be there at 30 but I'm like, I don't think it's a surefire thing. He's a guy that everyone kept saying has a high floor, but potentially a low ceiling. But I tell you what, the fact that we got him as our second first round pick. Oh, baby. Uh, I think he's a great steal. We, we can go more in depth on him, but I want to get your opinion first. What was your instant reaction? When we got Karloff just at 30. Yeah, totally. Um, going back to what you said, like when we did our podcast with Sam, a.k.a. Sam Kuyper Jr., I said someone is going to fall, right? Because if everyone is going to be wide receiver heavy, what, what like five or six wide receivers win that first round, right? Christian Watson mm-hmm. was the last one. So I think that was at least six wide receivers winning the first round. One of these talents were, was, was going to drop. And because pass rushers there had to have been at least six or seven like really good pass rushers in this class i knew someone was going to fall i didn't know who it was going to be but you're right george karloff is if you go back to when the 2021 season started for college football Karloftis was going top 10 top 15 in the nfl draft like his and 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 there was no drop off like the reason why he fell in the nfl draft and mock drafts was not because his skills diminished but just because there was you know these freak talents like um, Jamison Williams, like Drake London, like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, right? All these wide receivers that they were like, you know what? These guys are really freaking good and they're probably going to go in the first round. But George Karloftis, there, there was no drop off. Um, I love this pick. Uh, this made the Trent McDuffie pick so much sweeter, right? Because you're right. Like, like you said, it is kind of a holistic approach where now, granted, I still would have liked to have Jermaine Johnson, honestly, and maybe like I think Andrew Booth was still there. Um, I don't want to be too nitpicky, but I probably would have gone with the Jermaine Johnson, Andrew Booth route over Karloftis and McDuffie, but that's just me. Um, but not all to say I love Karloftis. Again, another athletic guy. He's huge. Um, he has great foot technique. I forgot. I was reading his profile. There was a specific thing that really impressed me, um, and I don't remember, and that's okay. But he's, a he, again, another guy who is an attacker, but he's also a cerebral player. So he can really understand, you know, how to, how to soften the edge before beating an offensive tackle. He's very strong at the point of attack and, and can play multiple positions and did play multiple positions a, across the defensive line when he played at Purdue, uh, 
which we all know um, Spags does like to rotate a lot. So for the Chiefs, this is great because no matter what happens with Frank Clark, it's not going to matter, I think. Um because we have a guy like George Karloftis in here. So look, Frank, if you come into training camp and you're not in shape, fine. You're probably going to lose your job and you're probably just going to be this rotational player. Um, I know there's still rumors that 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 the Chiefs are not done. There is rumors that, that they can still get a deal done with maybe a Melvin Ingram. I forget who else is out there. I think Jadavion Clowney still might be mm-hmm. out there. Or there. There's still like a few guys that are not going to get top dollar anymore because the market is way past that. Um, but they're going to get good value and we still have money to give. So if we do get that other guy, I'm really loving this George Karloftis pick um, because then he can be rotational to start and then become kind of the cornerstone him um chris jones and then we'll see if one of these other guys pan out on on defensive tackle i mean we got uh tashar and warden we have nandi we have we have all these guys that we need to start cycling and i'm sure one's going to pan out but i'm very excited about george Karloff. this this was an a for me just a solid a how about you reese or anything you want to say to what i said oh yeah i got plenty one to add on there uh what's funny is Karloftis is often described as uh, well, he's he's kind of not athletic enough. He's he's it looks like he's a step slow. His his measurable tangibles, you know, aren't aren't quite elite. Therefore, I think he's got kind of a low ceiling. Now, what other sport do you hear that described about players like Karloftis a lot? Um, basketball, bingo. And what kind of players in particular in basketball do you hear described like that? The ones that work really hard? Yes. No, I mean, yes. And the ones that work really hard, sorry, that I'm, I'm particularly alluding to are like European big men type dudes. I'm talking about your Bobin. I'm talking about your Joker. I'm talking about, uh, I'm so exhausted, I can't think of his name, Luca. Those kind of guys where you watch them and they're like, well, they're not, they're not really explosive. They're not really that fast. But they're fundamentals, and they're so hardworking that by the end of the game, you're saying, why can't we contain this guy and shut this dude down? Watching Karloftis' tape, he is the European big man of defensive ends, dude. He has fantastic handwork. He's got great fundamentals, and he's relentless and does not quit until the play's over. I think despite his physical limitations, I think by the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of people saying, Oh my gosh, why can't we keep this Karloftis guy under control and contained? The biggest knock I've seen against him is that, quote unquote, his arms are a little too short. Bruh, his arms are about two inches shorter than a lot of these other defensive ends. Do you know what two inches is? Two inches is about two knuckles on your pointer finger. That's t- You're going to tell me these two knuckles on my pointer finger are the difference between being Max Crosby and being just some jag? Come on, man. Let the tape speak for itself. Karloftis is relentless. Speaking about letting the tape speak for itself, I don't think he lacks any athleticism, actually, or speed. Uh, if you go back to the tape, I'm actually, while you were talking, I was looking at some tape again that I looked at a couple of weeks ago, and he's very quick, extremely quick off, off like, like once, like, first touch, he is violent. 
physical and once he gets space he is zooming i just looked at a video too uh, him against um what's this guy's name evan neal and evan neal was actually i believe he was the first offensive tackle off the board uh, uh evan neal from alabama and i'm looking at tape with him and he's destroying evan neal and again evan neal Evan Neal's comp is like a superstar offensive tackle in the NFL. And if you've seen, if you see George Karloftis already doing that to someone that people are saying is going to be, you know, the next whatever, um, this is great news for Kansas City. I'm I'm really excited about George Karloftis. Um, his size already matches up with NFL talent, so I, I I think that culture already of this violentness again, this this assassin culture, I think is really going to help the Kansas City Chiefs and their identity on defense because that's what we we're missing. We didn't really have an identity last year, and we're really forming this great identity. I agree 110 percent. And like you said, this really softens the blow of taking a cornerback at pick 20 or whatever it was with McDuffie, because you still got what a lot of people consider to be consensus top three defensive end in George Karloftis. I'm thrilled. Totally. Totally. All right. We are both thrilled. Let's do one more and then let's go into the beer review, Reese. Um, with the 54th pick in the NFL draft in the second round, the Kansas City Chiefs, again, did not have to move up for this guy. We got Sky Moore, wide receiver out of Western Michigan. Um, I don't have his specs on me right now, but Reese, what was your reaction to... Oh, actually, I do have his specs. 5'10", 195 pounds. Instant reaction... And now your current reaction to Sky Moore. Man, you know me. I'm a sucker for taking the mid-major players who are outstanding rather than taking, like, I don't know, the second or third best wide receiver at a blue blood school just because, you know, they have the wide, that school's name on their jersey. I think Sky Moore's got a lot of potential. I think he reminds me a lot of... Uh, <laughs> I hate to say it's kind of want to sound disingenuous, like a Randall Cobb type, but like way more athletic and with a much that higher is disingenuous. Upside. No, I, I know, I know, I know. But, but the thing is, for me, is like Randall Cobb is probably one of the greatest slot receivers I've ever seen, at least in my lifetime. And I think the Sky Moore has the potential to do that immediately. Uh, but he's a much better route runner outside of that, just like slot receiver tree. Uh, obviously, he's known for having those massive mitts where they had to get custom receiver gloves for him. Am I am I not mistaken? You are not mistaken. So, and I mean, it, it shows in the game film too. You watch him go up, and no pun intended, he's he's skying all these defensive backs, mossing, if you will. And if that ball hits him in his hands, he rarely ever drops it, which is going to be a great change of pace from last year's tip drill wide receiver uh, interceptions going on all the time. But no, I think he's got some speed. He's not maybe like the biggest straight line burner the way like a Tyree Kill or a McCole Hardman or Jamar Chase type. But he's got good speed. He's got good footwork. He's decent at getting separation. I think he'll continue to get better at that as it goes on. I'm really happy that we got receivers good as Sky Moore in the second round considering what a giant run on wide receivers they were earlier on in the draft. Yeah, Sky Sky Moore, I think, was a home run for Kansas City because, again, once I knew we didn't take a wide receiver at 21 and we moved up, that's when I realized, okay, Brett Veach is trusting in Patrick Mahomes and that he can work with and win a Super Bowl with maybe no superstars, but definitely people that can make plays, right? I mean, even though we don't love Juju Smith-Schuster, he's, he's a good player. He's He was all pro his rookie year, right? Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantley, 
again, not a superstar, but someone who made plays and someone who was very impressive with Aaron Rodgers. Um, and now we have someone in Sky Moore that the 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 irony with Sky Moore is that if this was the 2020 Chiefs and 2021 Chiefs, Sky Moore wouldn't make any sense on this team because he's essentially the same size as Tyree Kill and pretty similar to Nicole Hardman. But now that we have so much size on this team, right, we have so much length, like I just said, uh, Marquez in Juju in Josh Gordon, um, right? We have all these guys that can really get up there and make plays. We still need that slot receiver that can be a great route runner. That's not going to drop any balls. And I really think that Sky Moore is the answer there. Because if you got guys on the outside like MVS, you got guys on the outside like Juju, this is going to be great for Sky Moore to kind of, you know, really perfect the route running, which he already does extremely well. Um, and he's, he's rarely dropping these balls. I really, I really think that Sky Moore is going to have a successful at least first season with the Kansas City Chiefs because we just have so many threats now. Again, it's not a Tyreek or like a Kelsey threat, but there, but if you are a cornerback, you can no longer double anybody. Even if you try to double Kelsey, right? There, there's going to be so much space across the field. Um, I heard that there might be more of a pro style offense for, for Kansas city, as opposed to this RPO. Um, I'm really excited to see the Kansas city chiefs and sky Moore is kind of this like sugar on top of the, of the cupcake, because now we have all this size. We have this gadget player in McCall Harmon. And of course we have Travis Kelsey. And now we have an extra weapon for Patrick Mahomes. So an A plus for me picking Sky Moore at 54. Yeah, one more thing to talk about in there. You know, you mentioned if this was the 2021 Chiefs, he wouldn't fit in because of his size. Like, yeah, I know. I, I, even I've bemoaned it multiple times. We had like multiple five foot ten wide receivers. But the thing is, Sky Moore has got way more skill coming out of college than McCole Hardman does. McCole Hardman was drafted for his speed and kick returning and really not much else. Sky Moore is a, a much more mature wide receiver in regards to his route running footwork and fundamentals. Like this is this isn't some speedster you're trying to craft into a wide receiver. This is a wide receiver that has some speed to him. So I'm very excited to add him to the team. I think he's a great Andy Reid style wide receiver. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, so far in the draft, it's going well. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to break down more of our favorites from the draft, and there are quite a few more favorites. Uh, but before we do that, we are going to talk beer, beer review, and Reese is going to review a tasty beer. So here we go. so all is good still he's still here on the cast so that means he is going to review a beer but before we review a beer reese do you have some this week in craft beer news for us yeah everybody uh this week in craft beer we have uh, a lot going on in regards to the beer industry and its growth or lack thereof so Right now, we recently had the Craft Brewers Conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and there was the talk of the differentiating tastes and brewery sizes going on in the beer industry right now. And there's some big numbers that I just wanted to pull out of here that I think are worth talking about. So get this, Armando. I'm sure you know the fact that like you've seen the statistics where it was like back in 
was it like 2010, there were about like 3,000 breweries. By 2015, there were like 4,500 breweries. How many craft breweries do you think there are in the United States right now? What was the last number you said, 2,800? It was like, yeah, in like 2015, there was something, you know, like 3,500 craft breweries in the United States or thereabouts. I'm going to say it's doubled and and some, so about 10,000. Very close. There are 9,200 craft breweries in the United States right now, which blows my mind because back when I started at Boulevard in 2017, the big talk was that that number had almost doubled from earlier in the decade. They were up to like, I think, 6,500 breweries. So the fact that we've like done that number plus an extra 50% of craft breweries just in the last three or four years and with COVID going on, I never would have guessed we were at 9,200 breweries. I would have guessed we were at about 77 to maybe 8,000 at this point, but that's huge. Now, what I'm getting at with all this though is that there's a lot of changes in the industry going on and some of them, COVID was like a lot of things across this country, call it, you know, the labor unions, call it the supply chains, wages, working from home. COVID didn't cause these changes, but it was kind of the match tossed into the hay pile. So right now, a lot of breweries are kind of struggling. They've seen a lot close in the last year, and they've seen the growth sort of plateau. And Economist Bart Watson of the Brewers Association is quoted saying, I want to highlight for the hundredth time, this isn't an industry bubble bursting, but demand for the segment as a whole does not guarantee demand for individual businesses. Only 30% of brands are growing right now. And there's some things I want to unpack right here and get your opinion on them. Uh, I think the first line I want to highlight for the hundredth time, this isn't a bubble bursting. What do you think about that? Do you agree that this uh, kind of stymie and growth doesn't have to do with the bubble bursting? Um, no, because I think, I think ev- like like he's saying, every industry is going through this. Um, I still think craft beer is pretty popular. I know it has taken a dip with like the younger generation. That's funny that I'm saying younger generation, but now I can say like people a decade younger than me are drinking. <laughs> um, and I feel like craft beer is just not as popular because there's so much more to do other than craft beer. Cause I feel like 10 years ago, if you're going out with your friends, um, the coolest thing to do was craft beer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm 21, um, dive bars are not like as fun anymore yeah um i'm starting to see a little bit of a trend though going back to the dive bar going back to just a general bar um and not so much the breweries so i will say that it's probably covid and just like the plateau of covid because what like like you said only 30 percent of all industries are growing um, the rest of them are either plateauing or declining so that's 70 percent of industries um so i'm gonna say that yeah, I think that's most to do with it. But sure, I see a little trend of people aren't, you know, um, the breweries just aren't packed like they used to be. I think, uh, yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. I think saying a bubble bursting is why the industry's plateauing right now is a little bit disingenuous because a bubble insinuates kind of like, hilarious farcical levels of something being inflated. However, I will say, I do think there is a craft beer bubble in the point that, you know, you see, I don't know, like 
paper lantern brewing co like popping up you know it's like hey we're just some guys like craft beer we're starting a brewery and all that stuff i mean you, you see like 10 of those everywhere you go now and they just keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming and at a certain point you know you, you can't have those keep coming because there aren't that many consumers and as you said the younger generation isn't drinking craft beer to the same degree so at a certain point it's like playing does not necessarily entail success now moving on to this it says demand for the segment as a whole does not guarantee demand for individual businesses that's what i'm kind of getting at it's like just because you make a product that's popular doesn't necessarily guarantee that people are going to flock to you I mean, look at fidget spinners. Remember when like fidget spinners were so big like five years ago? So everyone's like, or like when we were kids, it was yo-yos. You know, so everyone's like, we're going to make yo-yos. And everyone's going to buy these yo-yos. It's like, no, people are going to buy Dunkin' yo-yos because those are like good quality yo-yos. You can't just make like a little Chuck E. Cheese five ticket yo-yo and expect people to buy them. And, uh, you know, he, he goes on to that more in the article. I'll touch down on that later, but... Only 30% of brands are growing right now in the craft beer industry. Are you surprised by that? Does that seem high? Does that seem low? Yeah, no, that's that's not particularly surprising. I think us that like you work in craft beer, I used to work in craft beer and I'm very involved in craft beer um, still currently. That trend makes sense because we are still such a small number of people in America that are you know, thinking craft beer all the time or, you know, I'm going to like, for example, tomorrow I want to go to Treehouse. Um, there's not a bunch of people that would want to go to Treehouse other than me and maybe like a thousand others in the area out of a million. So it it makes sense that only 30% are growing and it's probably the big ones. It's probably truly, it's probably PBR. It's, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not Weldworks. It's not Treehouse. It's not, it's just probably that it's summer and people are, are looking to break out the Trulies, to break out the Red Stripes, you know, all those types of beers. Um, I don't know if I'll, if we'll ever see, at least in this point in time right now, the zeitgeist of America. I don't foresee people going to get craft beer, like a six pack of craft beer and taking it to a party. If they can get the same style of beer, um, that's much cheaper. And they're not a craft beer lover. You know what I mean? No, I hear you. I hear you. I think what's interesting is his use of the word brands. And I, the big distinction between the two is, is he talking about Boulevard as a brand, the Boulevard brand, or is he talking about the brands within your portfolio? So like the Space Camper brand within the portfolio of Boulevard. Because do you, do you get what I'm saying? Now, yeah, but that would be hard to quantify, right? Uh, like how would... How would he know that from every particular brewery that only 30% of their portfolio is growing? Uh, I, 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 I interpret it as 30% of the industry is growing and 70 is not. I mean, th- that definitely could be the case. I, I'm not going to nitpick on that. It's just one thing I kind of wish he would uh, specify a little bit more in depth because that can be two entirely different things depending on the, the context of brand. Uh, I'm actually surprised 30% of brands are growing across the industry. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, kind of, as I alluded to a lot of those super small breweries popping up, uh, speaking of it, shout out, if there is a paper lantern brewery, I have no idea if you're actually a thing. I just have a paper lantern in front of me at my desk. I don't mean to offend anybody. Uh, but with those itty bitty breweries, you know, if they sold, let's say like five brewers barrels last year. And then this year they sold technically six brewers barrels. It's like, yeah, that would constitute growth in a brand. But I think being able, 
to have that small amount of growth quantify as being growth kind of throws off, you know, the, the curve for grading the entire class that is the beer industry. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Uh, last thing I'll talk about in this article I thought was really interesting that I do totally agree with uh, was the talk that it is uh, more than anything building dedication to your brewery's brand as well as investing in the quality of your beer. Because how many times have we talked about on this show, it's like, I uh, just throwing this out to, for example, Bierstadt's so good because they make such high quality lagers. And in an age where there are over 9,000 breweries now, using myself as an example, when I went up and saw you and then I drove up to Wyoming a couple weeks back, you know, I wanted to go to Bierstadt in Denver, but they weren't open by the time I was going to be driving through. So in, there were like a few breweries open in Denver, but instead of being like, I'm going to try this brewery I've never heard of in Denver, you know, and see how good they are. I said, no, I'm going to drive and take a 25-minute detour off the highway and go to Greeley to go to Weldworks because I know that beer is going to be killer. So I would rather do that than just go to a brewery. There is a difference. That is dedication to a brand's quality right there. What did you get, by the way? I forgot. Oh, baby. So I got some juicy bits. I got... I got their Mexican lager, like dry bones or something like that. Uh, oh. Pretty pretty good. Um, what else did I get? I got that fruit camp I think you told me about. Nice. I think there's a cherry pie burliner I got. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, I'll have to dig through the box. I got like, I got five or six Jeez, different kinds. Jeez, you got a lot of stuff. Oh, dude, of course. <laughs> well, when am I going to go? I Sorry, as I was saying, when am I going to be at Weldworks next? You know, it's like I want to be able to get as much as I can and bring it back so I can enjoy the experience. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So <laughs> anyway, I think uh, I've waxed poetic enough on that article, but I just, I just think it's really interesting. It's kind of being a, yeah. a state of the union of the beer industry. I think there's a lot. Yeah, a yeah, I think I think I think we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be an uptick in beer sales in the summer just because people are going to be start going out again. Um, I think the true testament will be then like fall. Mm-hmm. They kind of see if beer st- sales are staying the same. Or maybe like a little bit less. I think that'll be the true test as to is the industry growing or is the industry plateauing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, Whenever you're ready, I have a delicious craft beer to review this week. Oh, I'm ready. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So Reese is going to review a beer. Reese, what will you be reviewing for us today? So... As alluded to, I was in Wyoming a few weeks ago for a gig, and one of my favorite things to do when I'm in these gigs and towns I really haven't been to is check out the craft brewery scene there, because literally you can go to just about any small town in the country these days, and they at least have a craft brewery. Uh, To my surprise, Cheyenne, Wyoming had multiple craft breweries, and after doing some comprehensive Google and Yelp cross-searching, Blacktooth Brewery was said to be the best brewery in the city. So I checked out Black Tooth. I only got one beer while I was there because I had like a three-hour break between rehearsals. So I got like a lager and just like kicked it for a bit. Uh, nice. But uh, today from Black Tooth Brewing Company in Cheyenne, I'll be reviewing Cattle Kate Scotch Ale. All right. A Scotch Ale. Ooh, we haven't done a Scotch Ale in I don't know how long. It's been a, um, been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so if you're following at home, we... We judge a beer on certain categories, the first one being appearance, then flavor, mouthfeel, aftertaste, and then our stonks, drinkability quotient, how badass is this beer? And the rating goes from 0 to 10. So Reese, crack that open for us and let us know the appearance on the beer. 
He was waiting that whole time to crack that right by the microphone, by the way. Cocktail radio loaded. What can I say? So Scotch ales. ASMR delight. Scotch ales are malty amber style ales. Uh, I'm a big fan of these things. Uh, Boulevard used to make one called Snow Until that was really good. Uh, I think the industry standard is probably Odell's 80 shilling. Ooh, they still make that's that? a scotch ale. I didn't know that. I'm 90% sure that's still a scotch ale. It's a porter. It's, wait, 80 shilling? Wait, it is a porter or you thought it was a porter? I thought it was a porter. Hold on. I'm 90% sure it's a scotch ale. Uh, or at least I'm 90, 90% sure. Ooh. Uh, uh, it's an amber. It's an amber. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I honestly don't know the difference between amber and scotch. Yeah, no, st- it is. You're right. It is a Scottish. One website said Scottish. One website said amber. You're split. I mean, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. It's like, it's a dog. Sure. No, it's a herding dog. You know, it's like, shut up, <laughs> nerd. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I know it's a nerd. Um, <laughs> let's see. So... Uh, first on the list, Armando, is appearance. All right. So appearance on this, uh, it is actually a very beautiful amber color. It's just a little bit of opacity in there. Um, a nice inch foamy head, pretty uniform across the glass. What's interesting is I do see a lot of sediment suspended in this beer. I'm not turned off by it. You know, I'm, it, it it's beer. I know it's going to have sediment. You know, it's going to have floaties and all that stuff. But uh, it, it's a very fine sediment. And like I said, Looks it's good. It's suspended. Like if it, this was Jello, and those are little bubbles in the Jello. I know it's not carbonation. <laughs> uh, so interesting. I like the shade of amber. This is though. So for that reason, I'm going to give this probably a seven point eight on appearance. All right, seven point eight on appearance. Solid. Next we have. Do we have flavor already? No, I think we're missing something. Aroma. Um, aroma. Hey, you think we would memorize this, but we never have and probably never will. Aroma. <laughs> re-smell that beer and let us know what you smell. Oh, baby. I mean, that's that's Malt City. I mean, cranked up to cranked up to ten. Yeah. Uh, goodness, maltiness, some butteriness. With that comes a little bit of toffee. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to see what kind of malt they used in here. Uh, Scent-wise, it's not too dissimilar from like a sweeter version of a Dunkel. All mm. truth be told. Uh, that smells good. I mean, that smells real good. Scotch ales can be a little muted sometimes. Uh, so for that, I'm going to give this a 9 on aroma. All right. We got a 9 on aroma. Pretty good, actually. That's high for you, actually. So yeah. you, you love those smells. Mm-hmm. I do. I do, I do. COVID and was the worst. And let's see if... <laughs> and let's see if the smell matches the taste. Reese, let's do flavor next. How is the flavor? What do you taste? Does it match that smell? Oh, baby. That's very good. Definitely a sweet maltiness going down. The uh, the amount of malt flavor you have definitely goes hand in hand with the amount of malt aroma. You get a lot of the kind of a, a bitter coffee hoppy finish to it i have another sip of that ma'am that is delicious it's actually probably one of the better scotch ales i've had mm. uh for a lot of reasons so i'm gonna stick to flavor right now flavor on this scotch ale is probably a 9.2 if not 9.3 9.3 on flavor all right 9.3 on flavor we got some nines off the bat all right this is uh 
This is becoming interesting. So we got flavor now, Reese. Let's go to mouthfeel. How does it taste within the mouth? Well, that's one thing I'm going to get to next. I didn't want to go too far into flavor is that this is such a well-balanced beer. Uh, it is heavier than your average ale, uh, heavier than your average lager, obviously, too. Uh but it's nice and round in the mouth, a little bit of carbonation in there. It sits pretty. It drinks comfortably. Uh, it's probably a little bit heavier than... Eh, it's like a very smooth juice without having that texture to it. Uh, so for those reasons, again, very well balanced. I'm giving this an 8.8 .8 on mouthfeel. All right, solid. We got an 8.8 .8 on mouthfeel. And then we have aftertaste, Reese. What do you taste? Well, getting a lot of that toffee sweetness going down, I like how it's balanced by a lot of bitterness coming back up. In fact, the longer you sit, the more bitter it gets. And I think one of my qualms with scotch ales in the past is that they can tend to be a little one-dimensional malt balmy and just kind of boring. And it's one of those beers, like, the more you sip, the less flavor you get out of it sort of thing. Now I let this guy get a little closer to, you know, serving temperature when I got it out of the fridge. And uh, I like that it has a duality to it. I like the sweetness down. I like the bitterness coming back up. You know, it's a good quality to have to a beer. Uh, so for aftertaste on this, I'm probably going to give it an 8.5. All right. 8.5, still very high remarks, especially for Reese is very not judgmental but critical when it comes to these beer reviews and then we have last but not least reese the stong's drinkability quotient how awesome how badass is this beer to you uh this beer comes from being a diamond in a rough and uh that's not a knock on wyoming or the brewery itself uh, you know a lot of small breweries can be good at making gimmicky beers you know be like you know i want to I went to Paper Lantern Brewery, and they had such a great sour cotton candy IPA. That was a fun experience. I liked that. But this, you know, to be such a standard, just kind of ordinary beer style and to do it so well, I mean, that's impressive. That's impressive. I have a lot of friends that will tell me you can really judge a brewery by how they do the simple things, especially how they do their lagers. Get a log and go from there. Uh, so... I had, this is I think the third beer I wound up having from the brewery. I had a standard, just like, I think American style lager. I had a red ale and then I had this. And uh, the first two, admittedly, eh, forgettable. They weren't bad, just forgettable. But this, mm -hmm. this one sticks out. The fact that this is a brewery in Wyoming that can do a scotch ale this well. Uh, for that reason, stonks are through the roof on this. I got to give them a nine on stonks drinkability Ooh, quotient. A nine on stonks drinkability quotient, probably averaging a high eight, almost a low nine for you on this one. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember the last Scottish ale that we've had on this podcast. Is it safe to say this is the best Scottish ale on Fountain City Sports Media history? I think it is. Uh, I got to have some Odell's 80 shillings. I know, like I said, that's kind of the standard, but... Uh, yeah, the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, a lot of people enjoy kind of an alcoholic quality to their beer. And that's actually a knock I've had on quite a few scotch ales is that they have too mm -hmm. much like a boozy finish. They're a little bit too yeah. heavy that, you know, they, they make them 7%. Uh, 
But I think this one is 6.7, I want to say, which is a country mile difference in ABV, let me tell you. Yeah, 6.7. But I'd say it drinks closer to a a flat 6. So that's a great quality. Hmm. All right. Sounds pretty good to me. Excellent. We will, um, we're going to have to do a more variety on this podcast, see if we can get some more Scottish ales on here, some more reds, see if it, it matches up to the Killians of the world, the 90 shillings of the world, and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned as we will finish up the NFL draft and doing the Chiefs grades. We'll also do our overall grade after we break down some of our favorite picks. Stay tuned. Scottish Ale in Fountain City Sports Media history, uh, which was pretty cool. So we're going to have to try some of those more, get some variety on the pod and get that going. Speaking about variety, the Kansas City Chiefs got a variety of picks in 2022, Reese. So let's continue talking about the draft and draft grades. With the 62nd overall pick in the NFL draft in round two, the Kansas City Chiefs chose Brian Cook, safety from Cincinnati. And while I look up his specs, Reese, give me your instant reaction to Brian Cook in that second round. Uh, Truth be told, at the time, I actually didn't know all that much about Brian Cook. But since the draft to now, I've done a lot of research on the guy. And I have to say, I think he's a pretty good pick. I think he's going to pair well with Reed. Uh, I know some people say that, you know, while he's athletic, he might not be explosive enough to really play kind of a free safety position. But, uh, you know, Cincinnati has been churning out a lot of NFL players recently. As I think I shared in the group chat, when I watched the Cincinnati-Alabama game, it wasn't that Cincinnati couldn't hang with Alabama. I think... The difference in that game was the defense was actually keeping Alabama at bay pretty well for the better part of three quarters. It was just Mm -hmm. Alabama's defense was so light years different than anything the Cincinnati offense had ever played. Like you could tell they just didn't have time to develop their plays compared to the speed they were playing in uh, the MAC or whatever conference you know they were in at the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. So just at a certain point. You know, the Cincinnati defense, the dam broke. You know, they couldn't keep stopping them. They couldn't keep getting turnovers. They couldn't keep keep them off the field. You know, while Alabama was chipping away with field goals. And they, they knew the cavalry was coming. All this to say, Cook had an interception that game. I thought he definitely looked, you know, like he belonged competing against some of those draft picks at Alabama and that NFL factory they are. And uh, <laughs> the one thing... We can't let people forget, given what Reed's role is, given what Juan Thornhill's role likely is, to me, I think Brian Cook might be the Daniel Sorensen replacement in the scheme. And we have to remember, the scheme wasn't bad. It was the implementation of using Daniel Sorensen in the scheme that was so bad, which was to the point that it's like, if you have Daniel Sorensen, you're so intent on using him and he's not working that scheme, adjust your scheme. That's on Spags. But 
if this is going to be kind of like pure uncut Steve Spagnuolo defense and we finally have the right players in the aforementioned scheme, I like what Brian Cook can do. Yeah, I think you make a really good point because like Brian Cook, they they didn't draft him to be the starting safety or to be like to take over Justin Reed's role or Juan Thornhill's role. This is really to complement them and to kind of have this very niche role within the offense when all the starters are there. But then obviously, if anything happens to Juan, which we're still unsure, you know, how his injuries are and how he comes back from them, because 2021 wasn't amazing for Juan, right? Juan was, it's back and forth for Thornhill and and how he fits into this, in this defense. So I think Brian Cook is, is the best um safety no pun intended the best safety blanket for the safety position that we could have gotten i mean the the biggest thing that jumps out and like i've been talking about with the last two um defensive players that we picked up was his athleticism and the way that he tackles like brian brian cook some are saying is the best tackler um one of uh, the best tackler in the nfl draft actually in the secondary i forgot where i saw that from um but it was like a famous uh, analyst in the NFL who, who says Brian Cook could be the best tackler. Now, uh, one of the knocks that he has is his technique. But again, he was the primary safety for Cincinnati and doesn't have to be that for the Kansas City Chiefs. So he can really like ease into this role and really develop uh, with the defense, right? He doesn't have to be a day one starter. He just has to be a situational safety and where we might need him, right? Pulling him over um, in in the linebacker position or being closer out there and letting, you know, Justin Reed be the free safety uh, and being a little being a little farther back. So I really like Brian Cook and what he brings. I'm curious why we, we drafted him so early. Um, again, if, if he is the third option in safety where we had... We needed to fill, you know, number two options in other places like defensive tackle, uh, maybe and even another defensive end. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it. You can never have enough pass rushers, honestly, um, kind of positions like that. I'm curious why we took him so early. Uh, regardless to say, I love the pick. I love his mentality. I love the way he tackles. Um, he's still a very smart player as well. Um, and yeah, having having a bruiser as your third option. Give it to me. Uh, I'll give it an A minus. I think the answer to your question as to why we took him so early was the fact that, kind of like I alluded to with him taking Sorensen's spot, was, uh, you know, the first string dudes on our first and second down packages last year were pretty good, actually, all things considered. But it was when it came third down and they subbed in kind of some of those dime package guys, kind of those substitutional dudes. That's when the talent level just fell off a cliff. That's when you had. Dan Sorensen, that's when you had Ben Neiman, those guys come in there. So now that we have a Brian Cook as one of those guys alternating in, I think the talent drop-off won't be so great. And that might be why Andy Reid and uh, Brett Veach are like, yo, if Spags is insistent on rotating guys like this, we have to make sure that the dudes that do come in on third down aren't set just like a fall-off-the-cliff talent-wise. That's that's me playing devil's advocate, but that's how I could see it. Uh, Grade-wise, I'm going to give him a, a B plus. B plus. Good. And actually, as you said, you bring up a really good point because we can pinpoint maybe not the biggest reason why we lost games, but one of the biggest reasons why we lost multiple games was because of athleticism, missing tackles, and also Dan Sorensen or Ben Neiman, Ugh. right? Like, yep. like the, the NFL is a game of like 
a margin of error that is that is paper thin, right? And this is one of those paper thin plugs where you say, you know what? Even though we can probably do something else in the, in the second round, I think getting Brian Cook does replace that so that, you know, we aren't missing an assignment in the fourth quarter when everyone is gassed and they start to target people like Brian, uh, I said Brian Sorensen, sorry, where quarterbacks start to target Dan Sorensen. They start to the target Ben Neiman. Now we kind of have this um, stopgap there where we can say, you know what? try to uh, try to pick on these guys now and now we're starting to fill those tiny holes to really get us into the Super Bowl so I actually really like as you talked about it I started formulating that argument I'm like wait a minute this is actually really really awesome for us so I think we're both happy for that uh, right after this pick in the third round we pick with a, the 103rd pick Leo Chanel linebacker from Wisconsin a very curious, I'll, I'll kind of jump in first, a very curious pick for me again. We have Willie Gay, we have Nick Bolton, right? Rarely do we run this like three linebacker set, uh, except for like, you know, very specific things. Um, so I was like, well, that's strange. Why would we do that? But then looking at Leo Chenault's um, film, dude, this dude, I... I'm not the most excited about Leo Chenault, but like I, he might be like the second most exciting player that I'm really looking forward uh, to. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had him, I had him a third on my on my line linebacker uh, big board. So I'm super excited that we got him. He's 260 pounds, six two. By the way, all, all the guys that we've picked up are just so massive. My goodness, six um, two. Like I said, from Wisconsin. Uh, was the Wisconsin Gatorade Player of the Year in high school? Um, again, he's 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 kind of built like an old old school linebacker with a huge frame. Uh, he's really impressive when he runs downhill. A great tackler, very athletic. Does a really good job keeping leverage when he's you know taking on blocks um, and can really like hit the blocker with a few techniques. So he he has great technique and I think he is a steal a steal in the third round. So I'm really looking forward to having him. Uh, with Willie Gay, with Nick Bolton, because when you think about Nick Bolton, like like Nick Bolton is a very specific um, linebacker, right? Like like he's really good at stopping the run, but when it came to coverage, uh, not the best for us. And then Willie Gay's still kind of maturing. So I think Leo Chenault is that perfect glue guy, just like Brian Cook is the perfect glue guy for the secondary. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Spags uses all three of them for whatever that whatever they need to use right we got Willie Gay kind of eyeing the quarterback we got Nick Bolton now um, who also is really good at stopping the run and now you got Leo Chanel that can kind of do both dude so you said you had Leo Chanel top three linebackers in your big board I saw a lot of people saying that he was gonna be the first linebacker taken in the draft period wow over so N'Kobe Dean Jeez. him falling to 103 has nothing to do with like character or ability it, it has to do with the fact that there was such a rush on wide receivers there was such a rush on defensive end there was such a rush at a certain point on defensive back that it just wasn't there weren't a lot of teams going for linebackers as a priority in this draft so the fact that he fell to round three, 103, and we got arguably the best player at a position at that point is insane. Number two, uh, if Brian Cook is our replacement, Daniel Sorensen, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to our replacement, Ben Neiman. Uh, people forget Ben Neiman was dialed up as a blitzer over 100 times 
last year. That was his primary thing. It was just the fact that he's not physically gifted enough to be an NFL-level linebacker, so he was nowhere near getting the quarterback on those blitzes. Now, you've seen the tape. Leo Chennault, he is a big, nasty, old-school linebacker, like you said, and he specializes in getting to the quarterback. The one weakness he has is going to be his coverage. He's not super athletic, and I'm going to say in regards to defending athletic people, that's where, you know, being fundamentally astute and vicious isn't going to quite cut it. You know, if you can't hang with dudes running four twos, you can't hang with dudes running four twos. It's just the end of discussion. The tricky thing is going to be he's going to excel as a blitzer, particularly on third down, but Spags is going to have to use coverage that it can't just be, okay, Leo Chanel's been subbed into the game. This next play is a blitz. Okay, so you can't just do that every time. People are going to know to defend the blitz and try and burn you with the pass. But if you're going to drop someone in coverage who is going to be this athletically limited as such, he's going to need to use some of these guys like Reed and Cook to help him in the middle so he's not getting gashed by slot receivers and not getting burned in coverage. So that's going to be a big assignment for Spags, but... I want to say with his uh, kind of convoluted schemes, he can dial up some stuff that'll really help hide those deficiencies. Uh, very final thing I'll say about him, if you want to see what this guy's made of, go back and watch the Wisconsin-Iowa tape and watch him just like make mincemeat of first-round draft pick uh, Linderbaum from Iowa. Mm-hmm. I love that dude. I'll defend him to the end of the earth. He was the best center and one of the best linemen in this draft. Chanel eats his lunch. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have to go back and watch that but yeah excellent and an excellent pickup for the Kansas City Chiefs um, another great pickup this is actually my favorite pickup of the draft and it was not my favorite to start out with um, but in round five with the 145th pick we get Darian Kennard offensive tackle from Kentucky now when we first got this guy um no one knew what he was actually like people on the cast were or like mel Mel kuiper was saying you know he he plays interior but also plays the outside and no one was really sure why we picked this guy because you know we already have a a very good interior uh but then brett veach like slipped it in his press conference he was like oh this dude's going to be an offensive tackle and he's going to be competitive from day one um so let's talk a little bit about darren Kennard, and then i'll I'll hand it off to you, Reese. So Darren Card is 6'5", 322 pounds. This dude is like Jason Momoa, but on like a thousand different steroids. He is probably the, I, I think he's the biggest offensive lineman in this draft class. I could be wrong, but um, I'm he's almost positive there. I read that somewhere. Yeah. I mean, extreme, extremely well built, especially in the lower half of his body. Um, Really, I mean, if you look at film, he's impossible to move when he's like planting his feet into the ground and he's really just tree trunked in there. Um, He's got elite length and uh, allows him to kind of reach those blocks with tremendous ease. He's strong, he has heavy hands. I mean, this guy, when I and I didn't know so much about Darius, so I was like, there's no way he's taking Lucas Niang's spot if Lucas Niang is healthy day one. But I think like writing is on the wall. I know Kansas City Radio has been talking about it, but even Brett Veach is hyping this guy up. I think he might be our starting right tackle day one. What do you think, Reese? I, I think he is, and I think you hit the nail on the head. There's that video that went out of uh, 
you know, Brett Veach and Andy Reid and those guys calling him when they were going to make the pick. And uh, it, it's round five, and Brett says something like, you know, we filled all of our holes, except we still had a hole at right tackle. So, and it's yep. like, well, it sounds like he's bringing him for right tackle. <laughs> I can understand why a lot of the pundits and talking heads uh, wrote him in as a guard. Uh, at the NFL level, he is a little bit slow playing right tackle, and I think that, that's going to be one thing that I don't think he's ever going to be able to like get up to speed at being like a fast right tackle, but... Looking at his physical traits, like you said, he's like 6'5", 335 or something like that. The dude is just a slightly smaller right tackle cut from the same cloth as Orlando Brown. So we're bookending our lines now with these two huge, just like bolder dudes that while they might lack foot speed and overall fundamentals, it's like, dude, a big dude is going to be a big dude. So as long as we take care of the interior of the line, which we have locked up for a while with Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith, it's like, let the interior line be our strength. And as long as the two guys on either end don't become turnstiles and keep Patrick Mahomes on their feet, dude, Kennard was the best lineman and the highest rated lineman in the SEC, who we know is not short on talent in those regards. So it's like, come on, you're going to tell me the best lineman in the SEC is going in the fifth round. Nah, people slept on him. We're going to turn him into a very serviceable right tackle, if not swing tackle, if not, if not, depth that can step into anywhere other than center. Yeah, absolutely. If if he if he pans out, and not that he has to be a pro bowler on day one or like even in that first year, if he just is the starter, uh, I think undoubtedly the Kansas City Chiefs have the best offensive line in the NFL. And for Brett Veach to do that and solidify that in the fourth round, are you kidding me? I mean, just just perfect, flawless execution by Brett Veach. A plus on this pick. How about you, Reese? A plus. I mean, there's a plus. I, absolutely. Getting a player this talented and this skilled in the fifth round. The fifth round. A plus. Totally, totally. All right, and rounding it out, Reese, because we're running out of time. Let's skip all the way to um, to our undrafted free agents. We get a steal in what I think is a steal. We get a steal in Justin Ross. He is from Clemson, wide receiver. He's 6'4", 210 pounds. Now, of course, the the big caveat with Justin Ross was his neck injury, congenital fusion in his spine, which is not great. And, you know, a lot of times having a neck injury or a foot injury is kind of the is kind of the thing that you really don't want from football players. Um, but I will say that Brett Veach has talked about it, and um, they do do a great job with looking at medicals. Obviously, we saw with Trey Smith. Um, they they do do their research. They have their own medical staff that really looks into these guys, and they said that Justin Ross passed with flying colors and what um, that he is fully recovered from those injuries. So if he pans out right as an undrafted free agent, we, we, we don't even need him to be on the field this year, but, but if he develops into what people thought he was with this draft class. Okay. So if you think about it with the injuries, with the draft class, people had Justin Ross going 10th, like ranked within wide receivers. So without the injury, he would have been a top three, top two wide receiver in this draft. And we got him unsigned and he is healthy. 
So again, if he pans out, if he pans out as our fifth receiver, this is a home run. So I'm really excited to see Justin Ross, probably one of the best pass catchers in this draft class. And also one of those guys that can like really get him like one-on-one. Um, I forgot I forgot how tall he was. What did I say? It's like six yeah, he's four. six four. He's six four. I mean, literally, if this if this guy pans out, it's going to be absolutely amazing. The Chiefs can have one of the best. Off, I mean, they already have one of the best offensive, but but can have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. They went from you know having no one to now having could potentially have the best. So a plus plus for Justin Ross. And if he doesn't pan out, fine. It didn't work out. We didn't we didn't waste any money on him. You know what I mean? What do you think, Reese? Dude, that's such an important distinction to make because taking someone with, uh, you know, like blood clots with the physical potential of Trey Smith in the sixth round, that's called getting a lottery ticket. Picking up someone with a ceiling and physical potential of someone like Justin Ross as an undrafted free agent isn't buying a lottery ticket. That's getting a birthday card with a lottery ticket on the inside. You are out <laughs> nothing, and you have the $10 million jackpot to win yep. from it. Uh, I saw multiple reports that said, uh, you know, in an alternate reality where either Ross doesn't have these injuries or he's back to 100% full health, he would have been the highest rated wide receiver prospect in this draft, including over dudes Jeez. like Jamison Williams. And if you want to wow. go, if you want to go back and watch his tape, you know he was the leading receiver on Clemson on a team that had, uh, who was it, uh, Boyd? Uh, no, Higgins, right? Higgins, excuse me, I always get those guys mixed up. Uh, he was the leading receiver on Clemson with one of those Cincinnati guys also right. on that team. You go back and remember that year that Trevor Lawrence made a name for himself when Clemson torched Alabama in the national title game. The guy who was doing all of the damage was Ross, who was a freshman. This guy Mm -hmm. is absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain in signing him. Now, the big thing is, is he healthy? Can he stay healthy? And can he find what he was before the back and foot injury? Uh, But, dude, if he does, having him and Sky Moore as a one-two punch, I said to you, him and Sky Moore as a one-two punch as an aggregate, is equal to Jamar Chase and Higgins if you want to talk wide receiver one, wide receiver two. Wow. Uh, Even if he just sort of pans out as an NFL-level wide receiver, if we're going to have a receiving room next year that's going to contain at least Sky Moore, Ross, and MVS, that's a pretty good one, two, three. Mm -hmm. So I am beyond excited. I will be keeping not one, not two, but my uh, Joe Rogan third eye on this guy. I, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, no, super excited. And and again, I'll I'll I'll, I'll reiterate for our, like haters out there, where they're saying, "No, he's not going to pan out." Again, like Kansas City is really good at 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 gambling on these players, but like gambling with evidence. You know, like gambling with. You know, they have their medical staffs looking at this stuff and it, it worked the last time. They said, you know what? We checked out Trey Smith and he checks out. He's healthy. He's ready to go. And it was the same thing with Justin Ross. Now, I will say I did see a little bit of film from minicamp and there was like less burst from Justin Ross. He was not a standout in minicamp. Um, but Andy Reid was, was not faded by that. Not faded. He was not affected by that. He said, hey, 
look, he hasn't played in a long time. Like he's just, he's not even on the practice squad, you know, in 2020, So it, it's been a very long time since he's played and we're not going to have to rush him out in the field. And Andy Reid was very excited in what he saw in minicamp. Speaking of my Joe Rogan third eye, I'm going to add my tinfoil hat onto my head right now for this. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Reading into Andy Reid. We bemoaned this in the podcast last year, particularly in regards to Noah Gray. How many times have we seen it talked about where we get a new toy, like someone like Noah Gray, and in the preseason, all we hear about from people is like, dude, Noah Gray's killing it. We're so excited mm-hmm. to use him in the offense. And Andy Reid's like, he's going to be a great addition. I can't wait to see what he does. Andy Reid praise equals Andy Reid is going to pocket this guy and never use him. The fact yep. that for Justin Ross, he's no selling it, and he's like, yeah, you know, he hasn't played in a few years. You know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, he looked all right. That, to me, says Andy Reid's like, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to destroy. I can't let anybody in that he's going to be such a big part of our offense. That's a really good point because we didn't hear a lot about Darius Fountain during uh, during mini camp or during rookie camp. Um, and if it, geez, if Fountain didn't get injured during uh, during the season, we probably would have seen a lot of Darius Fountain because he was playing extremely well. And But kind of to your logic, right? Didn't hear about him. And then they, they pull a play for him. Where, where we, I forgot who we were playing. We are playing the Bills. We are playing someone like legit. And then we ran a play for Darius Fountain. So, again, I think this, this could be one of those where we don't see Justin Ross for a while. And Andy Reid pulls the trigger on week 17, week 18. And he said, let's freaking roll. All I know is you want to look at the receiver room right now. I'm going to say the potential oh, so ceiling stacked. is very exciting. So stacked. Between Gordon, Fountain, Ross... And I'm trying to think who else. Oh, who's that guy we have from Cleveland who was their former first round pick? Like John Brown or something like that? Yeah, I know. Uh, Corey, Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman. The fact that we have all those dudes, it's like... Corey's if, fast, by the way. Yeah, if one of them hits... Dude, we've got a one through four that's very exciting in our wide receiver room. Exactly, exactly. And it's kind of... I mean, this is, this is not a good comparison, but if you think of offensive tackles and what we did last year... We had like seven of them, right? And only one of them had to pan out. Um, and not not that it was perfect, but look, Mike Remmers panned out. Andrew Wiley didn't do that bad, you know? And and that's what we have to do. We just have to have a bunch of guys in there and say, okay, one of these guys just has to pan out. Um, and to, to Brett Veach's logic, right, and his philosophy now, it's this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And I'm just going to stockpile. Um for lack of a better term, again, I'm going to stockpile weapons and I'm just going to have all of this ready to go. And if something happens to a God, God forbid, but something happens to a Juju Smith Schuster, a Juan Thornhill, a Legereus Sneed, a Nick Bolton, I can keep going on, a Frank Clark. He has contingency plans all over the freaking field now because of this because of this draft class. So I am extremely excited, Reese, to end the podcast. Give me your grade for the 2022 draft class. We didn't talk about everybody, but those were our favorites. Um, overall, though, what's your grade? Let's do things here. Number one, the thing that was uh, that makes us potentially the best draft during the Brett Veach era so far is the fact that you know, we all teams deal with this, and Brett Veach has dealt with it too. Where, you know, come third round, fourth round, it's like, oh, man, you know, we really need a, a wide receiver or a safety. Uh, but the guys we like are off the board. Um, who's there? Yeah. What, what about that defensive tackle from Western Illinois, Kalen Saunders? Let's get him and see if he pans out. Th- there were no picks like that in this draft. It was like, OK, we're up now. Do we still have one of these guys? Great. Get him. 
perfect. All right, next up, who's here? Karloftis is still here. Hell, get Karloftis. And that's just how they did all the way through the draft, all the way down to the very last pick in round seven. They always got somebody who... We have potentially five day one starters on this draft, which is huge and great. And speaking of day one starters, my second part of this draft is going to be the fact that coming into it, I said the Chiefs have so many holes to fill. That That's why I didn't want to go out and get DK Metcalf and blow all our draft capital and our money. But the fact that we are able to fill so many holes with potential day one starters who have tremendous upside, I don't feel anymore that we can't hang with the Chargers or the Broncos in regards to guns. They've decided to invest in a bunch of veteran free agents saying, well, I hope these guys still have the gas in the tank we're expecting. We instead decided to invest a bunch of draft capital and young guys that were saying, well, I hope these guys live up to their potential. We are just as capable now as anybody in the AFC West or the AFC for that matter. So I am back on the Chiefs hype train. Chugga chugga. Choo choo. <laughs> give me a grade still. <laughs> I'm going to give this a... Uh, at the very least, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this an A minus. You, you give teams like the Jets and Eagles an A because they they drafted absolute premium players with premium capital. We got some potential premium players with just like mm-hmm. the best budget picks ever. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump onto what you you said and then I'll I'll kind of uh, I'll go astray from there. So if you like look at what we just talked about, right? Cornerback, we got a top three cornerback in a heavy cornerback class. We get a top three, top four, at least top five pass rusher in a very good pass rushing class. We get a tier two borderline tier three wide receiver in one of the best wide receiver classes in the past decade and then we get um, a linebacker top five top three even more than that Um, and then safety as well we get another top three top four top five safety in brian cook and then potentially maybe the best offensive tackle because people were not evaluating um canard as a tackle but if they would have evaluated him as a tackle people are saying he would have been a top three tackle so again just home run after home run after home run that brett veach made and again going back to my point last man standing not only that but if you compare the afc and what you just said not only um are they trying to bank on veterans they're wasting a ton of money the kansas city chiefs have gotten younger They've gotten more athletic. They've gotten more violent. And they've also amassed a wealth of dollar signs. Could have said that better, but they've gotten oh well. deeper. They've gotten their pockets in oh, I don't want to say their pockets gotten deeper either, but they're they're rich. We got a bunch of money. Could could you say <laughs> they've saved big money at Canard? <laughs> He he may be speaking quiet, but his but his uh, his puns are still very very loud. My dog's really howling good. now. He heard that. <laughs> no, but 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 seriously, Reese, like you know, for us to save all this money on these rookie deals, but still have these day one starters, while the Broncos, you know, who knows what the fate is of their wide receiver group? They just re-sign Melvin Gordon for some reason. You know, they have a really great. 
um, running back. The Raiders are have broken the bank. They can't make a single move anymore. But the Chiefs have the flexibility now and during the season. If we need to add someone else, there's always players on the market. There's always drama with a certain team where the Chiefs has the flexibility to make moves. Injuries happen all the time, and we know that, and that's what breaks teams. That is what destroys teams' Super Bowl chances. And Brett Veach said, no matter what happens, we are ready. We're ready to pivot. If someone gets injured, we can sign someone, and we have competitive money. We also have the depth. Um, and that's something that I really I really enjoy with with Brett Veach. He's growing also as a GM, already a really great GM, but he's maturing and he is he is here for the long haul. We are now Super Bowl contenders because of this draft class. Remember, I said the Broncos were ahead of us. I said that the Chargers were ahead of us in our division. Like I, I was very pessimistic. But now I think we're back on the top. I don't know if well, I'm sure we're going to talk about power rankings later. I don't know if we're better than the Bills, and maybe I'll leave that as a precursor for the next time we talk about power rankings. But we are absolutely Super Bowl contenders with this draft class addition, with this depth, an A for this draft class. Great. And there you have it. Any last words, Reese, before we sign off today? Yeah, uh, I would say, uh, like you said, I think I'm, I'm very excited about this draft. I think that Breveach magically closed the gap between us and the top teams in the AFC. I wouldn't say we were in the top tier of AFC teams technically before this draft. Now we are. Uh, it feels great to get back behind the mic and chat with you again, Armando. This is a lot of fun, even if I have to keep it at like three decibels <laughs> so my dog doesn't wake up. Speaking of which, uh, in about three minutes, I have to go wake my dog up for his midnight constitutional. So oh, This was perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Don't have, to, don't have to wake up twice in the middle of the night now. <laughs> all right reese i will i will let you go do the midnight constitution stay tuned ladies and gentlemen for some more chiefs content uh, as we get into the summer i think things are going to get a lot more exciting as well we're gonna we're gonna talk about different things uh, we could even have some trivia down the down the pipeline who knows you'll have to wait and see and until then we will see you next time We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Fountain City Sports Media.